So there was a um, quote that I came across again today. I've, I've heard it any number of times, and I just attributed it to one of those things that sort of goes around spiritual circles, sort of a almost a cliche in some in some ways. But the the quote is. Um, What we are looking for is what's looking. Okay. Sounds like one of those, you know, Zen, New Agey kind of things that, you know, it makes you sort of go, hmm. Anybody know where that came from originally? I was. <laughs> She just, she, <laughs> she just learned that a few hours ago. So. so it was surprising. It was surprising to me. Um, St. Francis of Assisi. You didn't learn that in Catholic school. <laughs> That's surprising, huh? You know, what, what we are seeking, we discover is that which is seeking itself, right? It's seeking as long as it believes that it's outside somewhere and I'll find it, I'll discover it, I'll get the right set of beliefs all put together in the right order, it'll all make sense, I'll have the right really special spiritual experience that'll sort of end all desires for any other spiritual experience or worldly experience. Right. Seeking on the outside. You know, but all along, what's, what that movement is, is what we eventually find. That sort of nudging us along, that uh, desire, you could say, to find out what this life is really about, who we really are, however you phrase the question. That movement, that urge to find out, no, I, I really want to know. I really want to come out on a, on a night that I could be doing other things and ponder the question, right? That movement is itself what is recognized as being what we actually are. The movement feels like it's, I want to find out out there through an experience, through learning something, through adopting the right theology, through something, but outside, or the right set of thoughts, the right set of beliefs. But that whole movement, the origin of it, the impetus of it is um, our True self, you could say. Seeking itself, right? Not seeking a better version of who we are. You know, the new and improved version. Just seeking its own beingness, you could say. That's why it's so hard to find, right? It's not that it's ever absent. or distant, or, you know, being cagey. You know, it's, it's in, 
plain sight all along, but it is what is looking. It's not, not looking out through our eyes, but actually that movement, that curiosity, that will to um, you know, penetrate what this life is actually about. That, that urge, that movement, right? We think it's personal. We think, no, it's me. I decided to go on this spiritual quest. Right? I could have done other things, but I decided to do this. It was my decision, and that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to stick with it, right? That's the sense of it. But where did that urge come from? Right? We, we take credit for it. We think, well, no, I, it was me. I, I decided that. But at some point, we realize that this whole journey doesn't make... Um, it feels like the on, only thing left to do, and at the same time, doesn't make any sense at all. You know, it's, it, it goes beyond where we can come up with logical reasons for, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm on this journey because of A, B, C, D. You know, this is what I'll get out of it. You know, we may tell ourselves that. I mean, life will use any devious trick it has <laughs> to sort of push us along. Um, but we find out after a while it's, it's actually not personal. It's actually, it actually comes from a much deeper place than that. Um, it's really much more like life as a whole trying to recognize itself in spite of all of the distractions of this world. You know, all of the ways that the, this world has um, conditioned us to believe that this is how it works. This is who I am. This is how the world works. Um, and uh, we believe it. We're sort of pulled into that trance, all of us. And the trance is so powerful that 99.9% percent of the people never even question it, never even question that they're actually living in a trance, in, the, in a set of beliefs that they haven't really examined, that they are separate from existence. It's just assumed, just, no, I'm, I'm a separate self. I have to look out for myself. I have to, you know, earn my worth. I have to... Um, take care of myself, I can't really trust life too much, I, you know. Just me and the big world out there. That's how most people live their entire life. And um, living life that way, there's a certain anxiety about it, there's a certain draw to it. You know, there's, a, a, um, you know, there's pleasure down this road, happiness, um, joy, certainly. And so we, you know, we pursue that, and we also find out, yes, and <laughs> there can also be pain and suffering, too. And um, so it's sort of, you, you get the whole, the whole spectrum of life. Um, until we get to the point of being willing to wonder if there's something more than that, something deeper than that. 
And that's, that's actually a turning, a real turning point, like just to be willing to ask that question, to get to the point of saying, okay, everything I've learned up to this point was pushing me in this direction, career, relationship, family, community service, religion, ideologies, whatever, all, all been pushing that way. Um, and at some point, um, we might just wonder, well, I wonder if that's the totality of life or is there something else happening here? So just that willingness to ask that question is, um, it's actually a courageous act, right? You know, just to ask the question, because you're introducing um, doubt into this whole structure that we've all been taught is the path to peace and happiness and love and respect and recognition and all the other things that we hope we're going to get. So even to question that, even to be willing to question it, um, very few people are willing to do. You know, they'll, they'll, they may sort of begin to sense it on the outskirts, you know, their consciousness and, and have a solution for it, you know. Go out to dinner, movie, few glasses of wine. I mean, there's lots of choices, right, to just sort of pull you back from the edge. Not that any of those things are a problem, but at some point we can see that where the underlying motivation is for, if they're just, you know, if it's time for a little relaxation and, you know, there's nothing, no harm. But if we're using that to um, prevent us from looking at what we suspect is actually there, then, you know, we might want to reconsider that one. But that's, that's how it first comes in. It's sort of like a, a little disturbance out on the fringe that, you know, at first we can sort of ignore and then after a while we can't really ignore it anymore. And then we sort of say, well, okay, maybe, I, maybe I'll take a look at that. Does that feel like that for anybody? You know, we're sort of going along, life seems to be working and then something happens where it just, you know, it's time to reevaluate. So just, just being willing to ask that question, like I wonder if there's something else, something I'm not seeing, something that's not generally presented as how, what this life is about. Um, I wonder if there's something more there. Just to ask that question throws us into a whole different arena where um, everything that we've believed up to that point uh, can be thrown into question. Like, I wonder if that's true. Anything that's unexamined, anything that's unexamined is what we, um, what continues to operate through us. Um, Byron Katie talks about karma as being an unexamined belief. Don't see it, don't look at it, get to do it over and over again until you're willing to actually see it. See what that conditioning, that mechanism is, how that functions in this body. You know, because we, when we really look at it, I mean, we're all conditioned. We have all been conditioned thoroughly. 
conditioned. <laughs> right? Some useful, some not so useful. The useful, useful conditioning is fine. The, ones, the conditioning I'm talking about is the one that causes us grief, suffering. You know, the ones that, the kind of conditioning that doesn't really serve what we suspect may be true, suspect may be, you know, our, how we would like to be in the world, how we would like to be with ourselves, be with other people. You know, so that, that conditioning, it's not really possible to give up conditioning without looking at it first. You can't really just say, well, it's all conditioning, so I'll just, I'll just be consciousness and forget about all of that. Um, you know, it... That's, that's just trying to game the system, right? It's just trying to, you know, just bypass all the difficult things to get to what we like. So we're back into the same game, you know. I'm in it for the pleasure, my peace, my happiness, and I don't really want to do the heavy lifting. I just want to get to the realization. So it may happen that we realize what we really are and then come back for the conditioning. It can work that way too. Um, it's actually easier. That makes sense. It's not actually necessary to to sort of sort through all our conditioning before we recognize what we actually are. It's not necessary, um, uh, and it's especially unhelpful if we have the belief that it is necessary to fix all the conditioning. In other words, I'm not worthy of waking up realizing my true nature until I fix these obvious defects in my life or my situation or my belief system or, you know, my bad habits or whatever. You know, if, if I have that belief, then, you know, we've just built a, a wall of you know, I can't get to the other side of the wall until I climb over the wall and see what I mean? That we've just we've created the barrier as just by thinking that that's what I have to do. I have to clean up my act before before I can actually realize who I am. When uh, Jesus was gathering up his disciples, he, he would tell people, come follow me, you know. He didn't say, clean up your act first and then let's talk, you know. It, it was, it's, he didn't say that. So there's, there's also, there's, it's also possible that some of the conditioning is so deep and causes so much suffering and, and so it's such a pull on our energy that um, uh, it, it sort of robs us of a potential to look deeper. You know, that, that, that kind of suffering may need to get looked at first. You know, just, just to 
see that that particular conditioning isn't true is helpful. And um, again, Byron Katie's work is really helpful that way, just to, to, to look at um, you know, the consequences of believing something about myself or the other person or the world and to question whether that's actually true. And if, if, if I believe that it is true, how does my life look? And how would my life look different if I didn't believe it? So that's the price we pay for any particular belief system. Right. So if the conditioning is such that it just is consuming like every day, it just sort of grips us, um, you know, it's hard to focus on anything else, then, then it may be necessary to look at that first, um, just to free up enough time, time and energy to look at um, something deeper. It's sort of like if, if you're in a position, let's say, in some remote part of the world where uh, you're starving, you know, it's probably best to find food first and then think about, you know, your true self after you've had a, enough to eat that you're not going to die in the meantime. So. If, if the conditioning is such that it, it just causes you to consume so much energy every day that there's nothing left, then that, that may need to be looked at. But what I'm saying is it's, except for that, um, if it's just the normal amount of dysfunctional conditioning, you know, just the normal amount of, <laughs> you know, then, then it's not necessary to work through all of it before, um, really seeing who we are. You know, once, once, once we recognize that what we are is already complete, is already present, then it's much easier to look at whatever conditioning remains after that point because it just doesn't feel so personal anymore. So, I mean, it's a bit of a miracle, isn't it? I mean, we, we never question it. We just assume that this is how life is, right? And, and as you're saying, through some, a sequence of some events, suddenly we're willing to ask the question, we have an interest, we're willing to look deeper. I mean, that's, it, I mean, that's pretty miraculous, isn't it? I mean, it's not like you know, we've sort of gradually thought our way out of, out, of the, out of the trance. It's like something happened that disturbed the trance enough that we were thinking, you know, maybe, Sort of like, not all that much different from being like literally asleep at night and you know, there's sort of a disturb, disturbing noise, like last night it was thunder and lightning at four o'clock in the morning. You know, it sort of like jolts you awake. Um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a lullaby that generally wakes you up. It's, yeah, I mean, life, life will use whatever it needs to lose. It, it's, not, it, it's not that that grace is ever absent. You know, it's, we're the ones that are absent. You know, we're so entranced by, you know, life. It's so interesting. So many things happening. So much drama. So many things to think about, figure out, worry about, be anxious about, regret, hope. All of that keeps us thoroughly entranced. So, um, but we... 
at, at some point we can begin to see that there's, um, all of those experiences have a different flavor to them, but still, they still have something in common. There's, there's an experience, and there's something here that experiences it, right? So without that, whatever it is that's here, noticing whatever the experience is, without that screen of awareness, whatever we want to call it, without that, there's no experience, right? So in that sense, all experiences have that in common. It requires somebody, namely you, to experience it. So in a very real sense, we can say that the entire world happens within you. In a very real sense. Because without your presence, without your consciousness, all of us, without that consciousness, um, well, we wouldn't know the world existed or didn't. And we're, we're entirely dependent on this sensory organism to register what, whatever it is that's happening. So as long as we're entranced in what it, what's appearing on that screen, then the focus is out. But as, as soon as we t sort of turn it around and say, well, I wonder, I wonder what that screen of awareness is. I mean, it's, it seems like it's here, it's close to home. I wonder if that's actually what I am. Not, we're not denying that the, the experience is happening. We're not saying, well, it's all a dream or, you know, don't have to try to philosophize about that. But we can say that it, it is registered here within consciousness, whatever this consciousness is aware of. So we can just, it's like, the, it's very similar to the exercise that we did at first around silence, right? Lots of noise out here, and then silence. Consciousness is silent already. We don't have to improve it to make it silent. So it's silent, it's, it's receptive, it's present, non-judgmental, just present. And then there's, you know, the, the, the vibration, the noise, the arisings, the manifestations. You know, we've been taught from birth that that's what's fascinating. The manifested world, that's what's fascinating. This, yeah, consciousness, everybody has it, you know, how special could it be? So we, we ignore it, we take it for granted, we don't look into it. But it is, it, is, um, it is the road where freedom actually lies. If, um, let's just take a feeling, like a feeling that we don't particularly like, sort of a disturbing feeling. You know, there's a point where the feeling's not there, we're feeling pretty good, and then, you know, a memory comes up and 
this disturbing feeling sort of enters my consciousness, right? And then I think, oh, you know, now I'm thinking about that again, right? So there's something that notices that it wasn't there and then it is there, right? If there was nothing that noticed that, you wouldn't notice that it wasn't there and now it is. I mean, you sort of notice it sort of descending, right? And then, you know, maybe some time later, some hours later, maybe just, you know, I haven't been thinking about that for the last hour or so. It's not there anymore. So we notice the arising. We notice when it's there. We notice when it, after it passes away. Very much like the silence that we were talking about before, where the silence, sound, drops back in the silence. So with, without that awareness, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to say, oh, that feeling wasn't there, but now it is. We wouldn't be able to say that. And without the awareness, we couldn't say, um, you know, that feeling isn't there anymore, but it was a few hours ago. You know, so we can notice that coming and going. And that, that noticing is So when we started out talking about um, what we are seeking is what is doing the seeking already, right? So that, um, that, that movement arises out of, out of that silence, out of that deeper nature that sort of propels us for mysterious reasons. I mean, we can assign reasons to it, but uh, um, you know, it's not really to our advantage. Everybody get that? We think it is, you know, we think, well, you know, I'll be much happier and more peaceful and everything. There may be more peace and there may be more joy that's true. The only difference is you, you'll lose the possibility of thinking of yourself as the person who is happy. That's what you lose. So there's actually nothing in it for you. It's what that sense of being a separate, independent self is what's lost. You know, it's it's a it's just a false construct, so it's nothing, nothing serious, but it can feel serious. <laughs> it's just it's just a false idea is what what we end up giving up. But it feels like that separate self is what is seeking, right? I I am going to make. Uh, I'm going to improve myself, improve my life get enlightened, then things will be really good for me. That's the game. I mean, that's the, the lure that life uses to pull you forward until it's way too late and then you realize that you're in over your head and <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no payoff for you at all. <laughs> huh. 
But that, it's that sense of separate self that is what um, causes us to sort of uh, fluctuate between sort of anxiousness about, you know, something that might happen or fear or hope or, you know, just all those movements where we're, we're trying to negotiate with life somehow, trying to, you know, hope it turns out better for us. And, but it's, it's all founded on a basic distrust. Distrust that, you know, I, I know what should be happening. I know what's best for me. I know what, how life should, I want life to look. But, you know, like we were talking about before, the things that actually cause us to make significant transformations are actually almost always things that we wouldn't choose to do. Right? We, we may not want to even do them again. <laughs> but we also don't regret them either. Um, you know, we just see it as a necessary occurrence to, you know, cause us to look at life more deeply, you know, more compassionately, more care for other people, more gentleness with ourselves. Yeah, sort of a, a maturing process. Which is, a, which is a different movement altogether than this e egoic, um, you know, I'm in it for me kind of stance. You know, where ev everything is measured by, is this a benefit to me or not? Is this person that I've just met, is there any benefit to me, you know, that may result from this possible friendship? Is there, you know, when life is, is seen as you know, a constant strategy about how to position myself as a separate self in relation to life, how life shows up, has a much different feeling than recognizing that it is all one existence, awareness appearing here looking like this, appearing there looking like that. And um, it doesn't mean that we have to like every appearance, but um, we can appreciate every appearance, right? Appearance for being exactly what it is. And knowing, being able to participate in the world and knowing at the same time that it's all appearing as the next experience within awareness, all of it. It's, it's very easy to turn something like that into um, a philosophy that, uh, again, separates us from the world. Because right? we can say, oh, it's all just experience anyway, and I'm awareness, and you feel that, how it's just sort of retracting ourselves from the world. If we use it as, as, a, as a belief system, but if, if, we, if it's actually our direct experience that that's 
actually what's happening, that that life is manifesting here, looking like this, manifesting there, looking like that. The connection is actually through that wholeness, through that oneness. And then, then we're free to engage, we're free to enjoy, we're free to experience it. We don't have to separate ourselves from it. We don't have to protect ourselves from it. We don't have to run away from it. So it actually liberates us to live wholeheartedly. If we turn it into a philosophy, it's, it separates us. If, we actually, it's, if it's actually our direct experience, it, we get to live life from that wholeness. Big difference. So this deeper urge that we started talking about, what is seeking itself, it, it's helpful to know that that's already present, that that movement uh, that we can take as a personal, um, almost personal will. Um, it's possible to, to recognize as, as that's something um, that's coming from a much deeper place. You know, the analogy that's often used is, you know, the individual wave on the ocean, you know, you know, could feel like, could, you know, self-identify as, you know, I'm a big wave or I'm, I'm a little wave or, you know. <laughs> Still a part of the ocean, right? You know, it's just, the difference is just appearance, you know, temporary appearance. You know, when we, when we see that that's actually the case, you know, not as a philosophy, not as a religion, but it's actually the fact of it, then um, how we interact with other people, how we see ourselves being in the world, all of that changes. because it doesn't feel so personal. So what we give up is this false sense of separation, you know, where we give up the idea, I'm separate, but I'm trying to figure out how to get whole. But the idea of feeling separate, um, it is, is, it's just, it's an idea. Right? It's just an idea that we've become convinced of that um, we haven't yet questioned until we do. You know, I wonder if that's actually true, that I'm actually separate from the rest of life. Is that the deepest truth or is there something more than that? You know, when, when we really begin to look at that, to re recognize that actually, even physiologically, even ecologically, we're not separate from the rest of life. When we see the implications of that, it changes the whole game. You know, then this sense of being separate, apart, you know, how do I get whole? You know, 
the question of how do I get whole is based on the belief in separation. So the, the whole idea of how do, I, how do I get rid of this sense of separation, it's like, well, how do I get rid of a false belief? You know, try really hard. Mm, I'm going to get rid of this. You know, if it's seen as false, you don't have to try to get rid of it, right? You know, if you're walking down a, a you know path at dusk and and something wiggles on the on the road and you, oh my gosh, it's a snake, and then there was like, no, I actually I just stepped on this branch. You know, the question doesn't remain, how do I get rid of the snake, right? <laughs> it's, you just see, well, it's, well, it wasn't true. It's just a f false belief, you know? It's not like I have to, I'm really going to try to get rid of that. It's just seeing, well, it wasn't true to begin with. So, I mean, that's, that's where this whole um, practice of inquiry, you know, is that, that belief that's, that's holding the sense of separation in place, is that actually true? You know, what, what am I basing that on? You know, what, it, what it's based on is this uh, sense that what, what I am is this package of beliefs and ideas and memories and history and hopes and opinions and that whole conglomerate thing that we take to be who we are. But, you, you know, you separate each one of those like an opinion. Well, is the opinion always been there? Or is, is it, I mean, did you have it when you were two years old and still have it today? Or, you know, has it evolved and you've adopted new ones and given up old ones? In other words, it's not permanent, right? And we didn't always have this sense of being separate from the world. As little kids, we didn't have that. We were just out to play in the yard. You know, we didn't think of, wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get my separate self out of bed and go play in the backyard. You know, we're not, you know <laughs> it didn't even occur to us. We we're just enjoying life, you know, and participating. So all of those things are things that have have been adopted along the way, and we've, we've taken them on, just saying, well, that's, that's who I am. Any beliefs that we have about ourselves, our shortcomings, that they shouldn't be. But we take all that, what, what we think about what's happening takes on a greater reality than whatever it is that actually is happening. Right. Not so much what somebody actually said or what somebody actually did. It's what we think about what they did. That's where the reality is. So that whole belief structure where, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm in a position to evaluate what should and shouldn't happen, uh, how the world should or shouldn't be. Um, you know, I, I know what I am. It's this set of beliefs. And if I give that up, the world would just fall apart. But again, it's, it's just our way of trying to manage what's happening, how to feel safe, how to feel like we're in control, how to think we're maneuvering for our own benefit. 
that whole strategic approach to life. So what would it feel like if we just allowed life to sort of inform us more, more, a little more trusting of life, a little less Yeah, a little less. Um, the, the whole movement to improve, to strive to make better. I mean, that, that's that's okay up to the po- up to a point, but at some point, it's it it's based on a um, dissatisfaction with whatever's present. So a different movement is, you know, at this moment without changing anything, still the same old habits, same situations, same dramas happening in, in my life, um, you know, is, can I recognize something that is not subject to all of those comings and goings? Because all, all of those things are subject to change one day, maybe sooner, maybe later. They're all subject to change, all the circumstances, all the belief systems, all the experiences, all the everything, you know. So the, the question is, is there anything that's not subject to that? What, what is it that recognizes that um, y- your experience now is, um, you know, we can, we can see it. We can recognize it, and then it's life saying, uh, almost like saying, how about now? You know, how about with this happening? Can you still see it? You know, how about now? Um, you know, we, and we can experience that in small ways, right? Like you're walking down the street and, you know, there's traffic or there's, you know, somebody playing music or somebody talking. Is there, can there, can there still be that recognition of, yes, um, I'm, I am, I'm present, I'm alive. There's awareness here, um, and it becomes it becomes more and more natural uh, over time. And like you say, sometimes something will come out of um, one's mouth, and then it recognize, oh, that's a little off, you know, or oh, that was surprising. That just came from someplace deeper. It didn't come out of you know me trying to say the right thing or not. It just came from a deeper place. So we can say, oh, that's interesting. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's just just like you're saying, becoming more and more aware, more and more of the time, noticing that that awareness is already present without having to manufacture it. Notice that it's sometimes move moves in surprising ways, and that'll just continue to happen more and more frequently with more and more stability. You could say. It, it's good. It's really helpful to know that there's there's nothing there's um, any sense of permanence is um, is an idea, right? So any any sense of oh I've attained this and so therefore I'll never be judgmental again, and then you find a judgmental thought come up. What do you do with that? You know, it's much better to to not um, form opinions about you know where where I'm at in the process. 
um, that I'm beyond judgment. I would say, you know, for all of us, we don't know what um, contractive thought may arise next. You know, it may be some pattern, you know, who knows, some rage may arise. It's like, wow, you know, I thought I was way more spiritual than that. You know, and what ha- can get people in trouble is that, the, that they pretend that that didn't happen. You know, so then they have to cover it up. And then, then, you know, then you've got this little secret hidden in the closet and it gets bigger, right? So it's, it's much better to just say, you know, at this moment, you know, anger's not present, but I can't make any statements that it will never arise again. It's, it's, which is true, right? You know, this is about being true. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's um, because we don't know what. So a lot of times, things that we thought may have been, you know, seen through, resolved, and they may have at a certain level, and then sometimes they need to be seen again at a more subtle level. You know, thing, and you think, I thought I dealt with that ten years ago, you know, and here's it come, rising again. And we get an opportunity to look at it again at a more subtle level. And then maybe a more subtle level. There's no end to this. The, the, the recognition can be the end of seeking. A huge relief, right? Recognition of awareness, presence. Um, huge relief. And then that recognition to penetrate the conditioning of this body-mind um, doesn't appear to have an end. There's always more and more to see. So it's not this, um, a lot of times this point of awakening is talked about as a, you know, before and after one-time event, and it can feel like that um, for a while, and then we can be surprised at what is still comes up to be seen after that. Because um, that event can be powerful enough to blow out quite a bit of conditioning, sometimes not so much. Sometimes, you know, it's just a much more quiet transition, but um, there's almost always more and more to be seen afterwards. So the belief that, you know, it'll all be, you know, peace and happiness and clarity and ease and that's, that's actually not true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to know, right? Because otherwise, otherwise you think, well, then, you know, was that real? Did I actually have that experience? Um, you know, if we believe that it should look like this and doesn't, you know, then that's just, I mean, it's just false advertising. But it doesn't mean that the, the recognition isn't, uh, isn't full and complete. Because there can, for f- uh, one of the real measures of a genuine shift is that sense of lack, that sense of I'm not somehow enough, but I, I know there must be something more. That movement ceases. This, it, what actually is happening is it's, the, the seeker feels like it's seeking, the seeker finds, but 
what it finds is that there was never a seeker to start with. It's the seeker that disappears along with the seeking. You know, so it's not, it's not the seeker finding, right? Oh, now I, I know what's true. It, it, it can feel a little bit like that for a while, but it's just, that's just the ego talking. You know, it's, it's actually that, that that movement discovers that the movement is what it is. It is who we are. You know, so we haven't become something that we're not. We've recognized what we are. So in that sense, there's nowhere to go because we're already, we're recognizing what was al- always already there, always already complete. That, I mean, that's the, that's the fullness of it. Complete in the sense of that's what I am, and yet there's still, for this body-mind to realize, there's still more to be seen. doesn't mean that what's seen isn't true. It just means that there's more to be seen. There's um, a lovely phrase, I don't... Um, Adia uses it, and I'm not sure whether that's the origin of of it or not, but the phrase is always being, always becoming. So it's actually both. It's the beingness is complete, right? The recognition that that's what I am, this spacious awareness that in which everything happens, always being, and yet there's a sense of always becoming at the same time. This um, always more to be seen through this body-mind, through this conditioning. So you notice that I struggle to describe it also, right? You know, it's um, because it's not, it's not something that we can stand back from and look at like everything else. You know, like we can even stand back and look at a thought and you know, describe to somebody else what we're thinking or feeling, right? Or seeing or hearing. I mean, we can make some attempt to describe that. Um, consciousness is different in that um, it is always prior to whatever it is that we're looking at. So the effort to try to understand what it is is, is from our mind trying to look at consciousness. Um, which it will try to do. Uh, it's just not capable of grasping what it is. It's, it's possible, like you say, to experience it. Like, okay, there's that sense of awareness now, consciousness now. But when we try to understand it, it's like our mind trying to look back at it. And um, the, the mind thinks in words and concepts and you know so it's it's trying to put this awareness or consciousness into a framework that it feels comfortable with and it it just frustrates it because it can't it can't do that um, so the um, uh, the the other part of your question is about how how do I know um, that that's um, that it's not a function of the mind is just um, it's, it's, those kind of questions aren't, 
questions that um, what, whatever answer that we can come up with isn't going to be satisfactory because any attempt to answer that question is again coming from the mind. So um, all we can do is, is to leave it, to pose it as a question and leave it. Um, and that the question is actually what does the work. So the question could just be something as simple as, um, I wonder if um, um, consciousness is prior to thought. Is, I wonder if it's uh, something uh, that's not being generated by this body-mind. I wonder if that's true. And just, just leave the question, um, rather than trying to un answer the question with the mind. You know, I heard so-and-so said that, you know, that's true. That's not actually that helpful. <laughs> it, it, all, all it's, the only helpfulness of it is to just raise the question, I wonder if that's possible. But what's important is to um, give ourselves the time to actually ponder that question ourselves, to just let it deepen, you know, which, which feels um, um, more solid in a way. This thought that changes moment to moment or something that's always present that is there for the next thought and the next thought and the next thought. Um, and it might, you know, that sense of where our identity is, uh, can feel like, um, you know, we're thinking about consciousness and sometimes we're there in consciousness and there's this back and forth movement. Um, and at some point that identity shifts to awareness that there's... Um, no explanation is sufficient, but there's the, it's self-affirming that it's, it's, there's no any, any question that that's not um, any question about our identity is no longer there. That, that is lost. Not because we've changed our belief about it one day and then the next day not so sure and back and forth. But at some point when we've allowed that question to really percolate, you know, really um, be of interest to us, really allow that to seep into us, you know, over time, my experience was that it was sort of an erosional process. wasn't for, wasn't like a wake up one day to the next, like, oh, you know, there can be, it's an odd thing. It, it can be that I know what I am is this awareness, and yet my identity is still parked over here in this this um, thinking mind, separate self body. And I know that's true, but somehow I'm still parked over here. Uh, that's sort of an odd thing. And um, for myself, it was probably several years where that belief in uh, a separate self became just more and more flimsy to the point that I, I just couldn't believe it anymore. And um, that identity was um, is, is from consciousness. You know, so looking back at body-mind, so it changed over time. But it's not something, it doesn't appear to be something that is 
a momentary realization. It can, we can know that it's true, and yet for it to really seep in through this body-mind, where the body-mind knows it, it can take some time. So, but I, I just told it as a question, you know, not try to answer with the mind, just, you know, wonder like, well, I, I, I wonder if that's actually not just a place that I can visit, but it's actually what I fundamentally am. We can, you know, call it consciousness, we can call it awareness, you know, some traditions they could call it spirit, you know, obviously the name doesn't matter, but the, the actual direct experience of it is, is what counts. So, yeah, the more time you can just spend there, just check in, like, wonder if it's there now, you know, just becomes the more um, we become familiar with it, um, uh, the more we can sort of rely on its presence, uh, the more solid it seems to be, always being, always becoming. It's really helpful to um, see or at least allow the possibility that this movement um, of uh, looking, seeking, trying to understand life at a deeper level is coming from a place that's beyond, beyond personal will.